Thank you, Katie. And good morning, church family. It's so good to be with you uh, on this uh, just beautiful weekend, this beautiful Sunday. And if this is uh, your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, I'm Randy, and I'm privileged to be the lead minister of the church. I would love to meet you after our services. If you go right outside the glass doors, there's a fireside room. It's labeled fireside room. And uh, I, uh, it's just a great opportunity for me uh, to get to uh, uh, have a little bit of face time with all of our newcomers and um, get to know your story a little bit and pray with you. And so that's where I'll be after our services and would just love the opportunity to, uh, to, to visit with you. Um, so I'm a preacher type. Really? Yeah, I know. And so we preacher types, when we drive by other church facilities, why, you know, especially when they are, have these signs, we'll pay attention to them. And so I saw a sign the other day uh, that uh, attracted my attention at a particular church. It says, we talk to strangers. Now, I drove by and I thought, well, good. Yeah. I mean, that's what's the point of church if you don't talk to strangers? And and I don't know for sure, um, but it may be that this particular congregation wanted to emphasize that we talk to strangers, whether they're citizens or not, uh, whether they're from Illinois or not, wherever they're from, we want to talk to strangers. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm on that, okay? I'm on that. Um, let me show you another sign. Yeah, you know what that says? That sign says... No strangers beyond this point. It's at a religious facility. That sign was posted in the first century. That, that, go, that is dated to the first century. That's a sign, a one of several signs that existed outside of Herod's temple in the city of Jerusalem. Now, this next slide is kind of a cleaned up copy of what you just saw previously. And then the next slide is actually the translation. No stranger is to enter within the balustrade round the temple and enclosure. Balustrade, I had to look that up. It's kind of like a fenced area. Whoever is caught will be responsible to himself for his death, with which will ensue. Welcome to worship. <laughs> right? No kidding, though. That... That sign was posted outside of Herod's temple, first century. Uh, so that's a uh, picture, uh, a replication of Herod's temple. And uh, then the next slide will kind of show you where the inscriptions were. And all along that balustrade, all along that fence, uh, was posted inscription that said what we just read earlier. Because you see... The whole idea of a Hebrew temple is that it is just a series of concentric fences. The whole idea of a temple is to show people that there's only so far they can go. So there's only so far you can go in this temple uh, if you're a Gentile. Now, who's a Gentile? Well, a Gentile is anybody who's not Hebrew. So there's only so far you can go if you're not a Hebrew. 
And then there's only so far you can go, uh, you know, if you're not a priest. And then the very center, uh, the most holy place, the high priest once a year entered that most holy place uh, to sprinkle blood on uh, the, the mercy seat there. But the whole concept was to show you can only go so far because you're dealing with a holy, pure God. That's the, that's the whole idea behind it all. Um, that said, that said, I, I can't imagine posting a sign on our property that said, Christians only. If you're not a Christian, you can only get so far as the parking lot. All right, that's it. And whoever goes beyond that will be responsible to himself for his death, which will ensue. <laughs> right? Welcome to the church. Or, you know, let's say you bring your guest and you say, whoa, you can't step on the curb, stay on the asphalt. I'll be out in about 70 minutes, maybe 80 if the guy keeps yammering on. You know, just... <laughs> I mean, what's the point of a church experience without guests, without strangers? And especially if someone happens to be searching for meaning in life. What if someone realizes, you know, they have, they have money, they have a job, they have possessions, they have, but still there's a hole in their heart. And, and they, they're thinking that there's a God in this universe who can fill that hole. Is there a meeting place where I can go to meet this God who can fill this hole? And you get there and then you discover that they won't let you in. What is that about? What that's about is the passage of Scripture that I want us to consider this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. On page 917 of your church Bibles, we're in a teaching series through the book of Acts. And we are going to consider the story of someone who was seeking God and went to the meeting place of God. And when he got to the meeting place, he found out he was not allowed to be admitted. And then what? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go south to the south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. So our story begins with Philip, whom we've met. Philip is a servant leader. Philip uh, has been helping to feed the under-resourced widows in the church. And we also find out by reading the book of Acts that he's a preacher. And when, when persecution scattered the believers in Jerusalem, and they went out proclaiming the gospel wherever they went, Philip went to Samaria, the most unlikely place. Philip brought the gospel to an historic enemy of Israel. Enemies who, when they received the gospel, became brothers and sisters in Christ. As Philip preached, as he performed signs and wonders, as uh, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem Peter and John specifically heard about what was happening in Samaria. They went and they placed their hands upon their brothers and sisters and the Holy Spirit came upon them and there was a spiritual revival. There was fire on uh, on Samaria for Christ and there was great joy in the city. There was great joy in the city. The presence of Christianity in Samaria brought great joy to Samaria, as it should be. Our presence in this community ought to bring joy to our community, whether everybody becomes a Christian in our community or not. Our presence brings joy, and that's what was going on. Samaria was on fire with joy for Christ. Now think about this for just a minute. You're Philip. And you're just enjoying all that God is doing. You're in the middle of this spiritual renaissance and Christianity is flourishing and and you're teaching and preaching and healing and loving and and praying and baptizing and worshiping. And and these are Samaritans and all of this is happening in this beautiful context. And then suddenly in the middle of all of this joy, an angel taps you on the, the shoulder and says, Philip, It's time to go south. Now, let's move. That's what we read in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, if Philip were an American, he would want an explanation. 
If Philip were an American, he would hope that the angel would say something like this. Well, now, Philip, about noon, uh, south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, you're going to meet one of the wealthiest, most powerful government officials in the nation of Ethiopia. And he's going to be reading a book from Isaiah. And about the time he gets to Isaiah 53, he's going to be scratching his head because he doesn't quite understand what he's reading. And that's when you're going to show up. You're going to have a spiritual conversation. And he's going to be baptized after that spiritual conversation. And he's going to return to Ethiopia, the first bishop of that nation. And then I'm going to take you to Azotus. And then you're going to go on to Caesarea. And you're going to have four uh, unmarried daughters who prophesy you're going to meet the Apostle Paul in about 20 years. How does that sound? <laughs> that's how it would be if Philip were an American because, you know, you know, Americans want to hear the plan, evaluate the plan, and buy into the plan. And uh, because Americans want to be involved in the decision-making process. All right? Well, Philip is not an American. So the conversation goes very quickly. Philip, go south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Be there around noon. Right? And what does Philip say? We don't know. It simply says, verse 27, and he rose and went. <laughs> okay, end of discussion. <laughs> now, just so you know, the point that I'm about to make is not something like, you know, now, church, when your pastor gets up and says something, you don't need to question it at all. Just do it. All right? That is not what the point is. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you. Okay. Here's the point. When the almighty, all-knowing, ever-present God of heaven and earth issues a directive, it's not a suggestion. That's the point. That's, and, you know, and actually, from Philip's perspective, this really is a bizarre request. I mean, really. Because nobody lives where he's going. Did you get that? I mean, that's what Luke tells us here in uh, verse 26. Did you see the phrase? This is a desert place. What does that mean? It means nobody lives where he's going. It means he's, I want you to leave this thriving, flourishing, spiritual renaissance, and I want you to go to a place where nobody lives. So, but Philip doesn't question the all-knowing spirit of God. He, he just goes. He doesn't know the final destination. He doesn't know who he's supposed to meet. He doesn't know any of the details. He just knows that he's been told by someone he trusts to be somewhere, and he goes. Philip has learned that God does not have to explain himself. And he's learned that God's ways are not our ways. Philip has learned that he, Philip has learned that he doesn't have to know the entire plan. Sometimes I get asked the question, now, you know, Randy, you're the lead minister of the church, right? You're the senior, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so, you know, so what's like the, What's your 20-year vision for Winds Road Christian Church? And here's my answer. I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't know. I'm the leader. I don't know. <laughs> I know that this year and next year, um, 
through prayer and planning in our staff, in our eldership, we are sensitive to Jesus' prayer the night before he was crucified. He prayed for himself, he prayed for the disciples, and he prayed for those who would follow the disciples that they would be one so that the world will know. I know that we have the greatest treasure. I know that our country is polarized, uh, and, and, we, and we are frustrated. Uh, on, uh, we're frustrated with our government. We're frustrated on a, on a national level, a state level. We're frustrated with the courts. We're frustrated with law enforcement. We're frustrated with terrorism. We're frustrated with health care. We're frustrated and we're polarized. How can we ever come together? And what Jesus tells us is that his gospel, his very self, it, He's the only hope to bring us all together. He's the only hope. And so what we want to do is we want to focus on three components of this kingdom perspective. We want to learn to see through the eyes of God. We don't want to see as a Republican sees or as a Democrat sees or as a Chicago Cubs fan sees or a Chicago or St. Louis Cardinals fan. We don't want to see through. We want to see through the eyes of Christ. That's a kingdom perspective. We want to see in a way that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's that's a kingdom perspective. And as we join in that kingdom together, once once we are vertically one with God, then we'll automatically be one on a horizontal level. And that's our relentless unity. And it's because And because of that, we can fearlessly share the gospel. Kingdom perspective, relentless unity, fearlessly sharing Christ. That's what I know. And I know, in Revelation chapter 7, 9, that heaven will be full of God's people from every tribe and nation and language on the face of the earth, every race, every ethnicity. I know that. I've seen that in Revelation chapter 7, 9. And I know, therefore, that our church community needs to begin reflecting the reality of heaven now. Now. And... We are being called to a diversity racially, socioeconomically, educationally, age, able body, disabled body, and that requires us to get out of our comfort zone. And so I would ask you, I would challenge you that, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that the seats are comfortable, but that's about as far as it's going to get. Because To get along requires us to think like Christ and see like Christ. And he left left the perks of paradise for a broken world, which was anything but comfortable. And he calls us to do that in the same way. I'm, I'm inviting us out of our comfort zone into the deep waters where God is. I love this quote uh, from William Shedd. A ship in a safe harbor is safe, but that is not what a ship is built for. Hmm. Philip gets it. So when Philip is told to get on the road, he goes. And you see, it's only then when he gets on the road that the Spirit then gives him the next piece of information, right? 
the Spirit says, see that chariot? I want you to go near that chariot. You hear the principle? Philip gets more information when he's faithful doing the information that he already has. I'll say that again. Philip gets more information when he's faithful doing the information that he has. So he sees a chariot. He is to go near that chariot. In that chariot is a black African. He's a government official. He is the secretary of the treasury uh, over the country of Ethiopia. Now, in Acts chapter 8, Ethiopia is not modern-day Ethiopia. Um, in Acts chapter 8, it's the country or the area called Nubia. Uh, it is actually, in modern-day, Sudan. Now, there's a satellite of the Middle East. Israel is on the right side. You can see the Nile uh, Delta. And then if you'll follow that green ribbon down south, right where you see that kind of that loop, that little hook, go even further south, and that's where the Ethiopian is from. That's where the nation of Nubia is. He's very, very wealthy. He comes from a very, very wealthy empire. Because Nubia was known for its gold mines. And they had more gold than they knew what to do with. And this man served the queen. Luke tells us that the queen's name is Candace. Actually, that's a title. Kandake, like Pharaoh or Caesar. The country was run by a queen because in their spirituality, the king was considered so sacred and holy that he wasn't to dirty his hands with the details or management of the empire. So the queen was the chief executive officer. Her CFO, her secretary of the treasury, was this man. Now I say man, but five times in these verses, Luke uses the term eunuch by intention. Luke wants to tell us something important about this chief financial officer. Five times Luke calls him a eunuch. That is, he's a castrated servant of the queen. You see, in the ancient world, to serve in the royal court where you would be working with and for royal family members of all ages, that was the price. And he must have been a valuable and successful player in her court administration because the queen allowed him to make this thousand-mile pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how he heard about Jerusalem. I don't know how he heard about Judaism or the Hebrew faith. I wonder if having reached the pinnacle of his career, having had all that material uh, Goods could provide for him. He had plenty of money. He had plenty of power. He had plenty of responsibility. But there was something missing. There was a hole in his heart. So he hears about this meeting place where the one creator God of the universe has a temple, Yahweh's temple. He wants to see it and worship there and pray there. And he makes the trip in an ox cart with a contingency. He's that powerful. And so he gets to the temple and that's when he sees the sign. 
no stranger may enter. Now he finds out. You see, according to the Hebrew Scriptures, he is unclean before a holy God. Deuteronomy 23.1 forbids eunuchs from the gathering of God's people. So he's made the trip. He's not even allowed in the parking lot. So he can't be with God's people. He can't worship in God's house. So he might as well read God's word. Somehow, he secures a copy of the Isaiah scroll, the book of Isaiah. And he begins reading and reading on his way home. And he gets to Isaiah chapter 53, and he reads about the restoration of God's people and the renewal of all things that God will make possible. God is going to renew everything. He's going to bring salvation and comfort and righteousness. But he's also reading about this mysterious person that Isaiah simply calls the servant. The servant appears to be this great individual who will accomplish all of this salvation and righteousness and comfort. But how? Because the servant will do this by suffering. Wait a minute. How do you obtain salvation by suffering? It's puzzling. And then he gets to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8, which are in our text. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. How is he going to effect salvation? I don't understand. He, his life was taken away from the earth. Literally, it says he, his life was cut off. Wait a minute. He's been cut off. Well, I've been cut off. He doesn't have a family. Wait a minute. I don't have a family. I don't understand. I don't get this. And then suddenly, the eunuch hears this voice. Hello. 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 Hi. You understand what you're reading? You understand? Sometimes the Bible's hard. It's really difficult to understand. No, don't put it away and just get on with life. This is important. Sometimes you need someone to sit down with you and walk you through the scriptures and explain it and show it its truth. You understand what you're reading? Well, no, as a matter of fact, I don't. How can I? Verse 31, unless someone guides me. And verse 31 says, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now think about what God has orchestrated. <laughs> you could not have put two more different people in that chariot than Philip and the Ethiopian. You couldn't. I mean, Philip is a middle-class, Greek-speaking, Hebrew guy. He's got four daughters, and this official is a black African, sexually altered stranger. Could not have been more different than Philip. I mean, Philip's culture was a culture where men prayed, God, I thank you that you didn't make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. That was his culture. <laughs> Jewish men don't hang out with castrated African government officials. But God directly intervened to make this happen. Are we hearing the Spirit of God strongly desires racial barriers to be broken down. 
over and over. We see in Scripture, we see that the Spirit leads Christians to break down the walls. God, God's heart breaks when Christians despise other cultures. And so what's happening in the book of Acts, Acts 1 through 7, the church is pretty much homogenous. They're from all over the Roman Empire and cultures of, of Hebrew believers. But starting in Acts chapter 8, the walls are coming down. In the first half of Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans are coming to Christ. And here, there's an African that's coming to Christ. And next week, a Jewish rabbi is going to come. A Pharisee is going to come to Christ. And then the week after, a Roman is going to come to Christ. There is no culture which can claim Christianity more than another. And that's what is unique about the Christian faith. It is truly the only worldwide religion. Did you know that 90% of Muslims live in a band from Southeast Asia to the Middle East to Northern Africa? Uh, over 95% of all Hindus are in India and in the immediate surrounding areas. Some 88% of Buddhists are in East Asia. But when it comes to Christianity, 25% of Christians live in Europe, 25% in Central and South America, 22% in Africa, 15% and growing quickly in Asia, and 12% in North America. Professor Richard Bauckham writes, almost certainly Christianity exhibits more cultural diversity than any other religion, and that must say something about it. So from the beginning, Christianity was never a Western religion. It's a world religion. And what's fueling this remarkable spread of the Christian faith? Here it is. Christianity acknowledges a culture where it is and then shows how Christ is the answer to that culture's brokenness. So, for example, at the core of Africanness is the conviction that the world is full of spirits, good and evil. So, this is a problem. How can we then be protected from the evil forces? Well, if an African were to go to one of the great secular universities of the world, the professors would tell her that the solution to her fears was to simply see that well, there are no such thing as spirits, good or evil, and that everything has a naturalistic explanation and the universe is closed. Furthermore, all moral standards are person-specific and relative to culture, and therefore all moral values have to be self-authorizing. So... Come to our diverse multicultural school and let us hear your voice, even though you're going to have to get rid of your silly belief in the supernatural and accept our Western, secular, naturalistic, educational worldview. But by all means, bring your food and your music. We'll enjoy that. <laughs> On the other hand, Christianity speaks of a servant who defeated the evil principalities and powers by his sacrificial death on a Roman cross. And God vindicated him by raising him bodily from the dead. And he reigns supreme over all things visible and invisible. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not in charge. So Christianity acknowledges the culture, 
and renews the culture, redeems the culture, restores the culture. Professor Laman Sane from Yale University has an excellent book I'd recommend. It's titled, Whose Religion is Christianity? He writes, Africans sensed in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred or their clamor for an invincible Savior, so they beat their sacred drums for him until the stars skipped and danced in the skies. After that dance, the stars weren't little anymore. Christianity helped Africans to become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. That's why Christianity is all over the world, church. And so then the, you know, the eunuch says to Philip in verse 34, well, who's the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? He's, you know, he's reading the Isaiah scroll. Now, here is what Philip did not say. Philip did not say... Well, I can't tell you that. I mean, it just needs to mean whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> That's not what Philip said. Philip said, let me help. And he opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. You see, Jesus is the interpretive person, lens, principle of the entire word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And, and Jesus is, Christianity is the most inclusive faith because of the exclusive claims of Christ. Christianity is the most inclusive faith on earth because it is the most exclusive faith on earth. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Every other religion has a founder who says, here's how to get to God. You know, there's different ways to the top, but we're all going to the top. And so Buddhism, eightfold path. Islam, five pillars. Jesus appears, and Jesus is the only one who says, you know, Jesus doesn't say, I'm here to help you find God. Jesus says, I am God, and I've come to find you because you're cut off. You're cut off. And, and what does he say about Jesus? Well, he had to have spoken the storyline of the entire Bible, right? God, humanity, Christ, respond. God, humanity, Christ respond. God, God made the world. And it, it was all we ever wanted. Uh, a world of peace, a world of beauty and justice, a world without death, disease, or conflict. Humanity. We rebelled against that and lost that world. And our sin and insurrection unleashed evil so that now things fall apart. And everything is corrupted and characterized by physical and social and personal disintegration. We're cut off, all of us. God, humanity, Christ. Jesus Christ, however, came into this broken, corrupt world. He died as a victim of injustice. And as our substitute, he carried the penalty of our rebellion and sin on himself. And he did this 
So that when he one day judges the world and destroys death and evil, he will do so without destroying us. God, humanity, Christ respond through trusting Jesus alone, believing in his name, for there is no other name under heaven given to, to, to humanity by which we must be saved. God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin and bringing us into fellowship with him. And one day he will renovate everything into the new heavens and the new earth where we will enjoy him forever. God, humanity, Christ, respond. That's the gospel. And in verse 36, it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So baptism signifies conversion. Baptism signifies a new way of life. Baptism means I've stopped believing this and I'm starting to believe that. I stop, I start. And that's what happened. And verse 39 says, When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because, you know, although he had money, he did not find meaning in money. Although he had power, he had not found meaning in power. He had not found meaning in his sexuality. He'd sacrifice everything to get to the top. In a completely family-dominated culture, he sacrificed his seed. He sacrificed his legacy for power and money, and now he realized it was for nothing. Can God help now? Oh, I'll go to the meeting place. I'll go to this temple in Jerusalem. So he goes a thousand miles, and he can't get in. But the gospel is that there in that desert place, the temple came to him. A better temple welcomed the eunuch. And as he kept reading, in Isaiah chapter 56, just three chapters later from the verses that are in our text, he would read these verses, Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. How is that going to happen? It's the suffering servant who will make that happen, who voluntarily became as a eunuch. For Jesus was cut off by oppression. He was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus became a eunuch for the eunuch. We're all eunuchs. We're all cut off. We're all lepers. We all deserve to be excluded. Jesus was cut off from God on the cross. He was made unclean so that we might become clean. We cannot clean ourselves. Jesus has done this for us. And this is such good news. And God wants this news shared. From Samaria to the north, to Ethiopia, to Nubia, to the south. And only God can orchestrate this. And what we're trying to do as a church cannot be done by human effort. <laughs> can't. 
Only the Spirit of God can do this. These verses speak of two pilgrimages. One, pilgrim, one pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple, it was unsuccessful. But there was another pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of the church, journeying to meet the stranger who in Christ became a brother. Hallelujah. So here is what I want you to do, please. As you leave these doors, some of you are going to be seeing me in the fireside room. Others of us, I would invite you to spend a little time at this wall. It's actually on the other side of this back wall over here at the back. On the other side, it's called the love wall. And um, I would like for you to fill in the blank to this sentence. Here it is. God, please help me arrange a meeting with. God, please help me arrange a meeting with. And then this, this, whoever this person is that's in your heart that you would you'd like to share the gospel with. Write that prayer. Put that up on the wall. And and open your eyes because God will answer that prayer. And you'll put that sticker on that wall at 12.05 and something may happen at 12.17. Open your eyes and then open your Bible Open your Bible. Have some time with this friend that you're praying for. And have a Bible study. See, what do I have a Bible study on? Out in the information desk is a, just a little Bible study over the parable of the lost sons in Luke 15. And it's pretty scripted, and it's just a presentation of the gospel. And I'll also have it uploaded on our website. You can find it tomorrow. So you can put it on your e-reader or on your phone and you just have it accessible. And it's just a, it's a Bible, it's a gospel presentation. And um, open the word of God and show your friend the gospel. And walk them through this parable. Open your eyes Open your Bible and then open your mouth. You need to speak. You need to tell the story of Christianity and from the Bible and about Jesus and how Jesus has impacted your life. I said, Let me walk in the fields. God said, No, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the skies are black. There is nothing but noise and din. And he wept as he sent me back. There is more, he said, there is sin. I said, but the air is thick and fogs are veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick and souls in the dark undone. I said, I shall miss the light and friends will miss me, they say. He answered, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem so hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. 
I cast one look at the fields, then set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he. And I walk in a light divine, the path I had feared to see. 